Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Did any of the, like, Chris Froome or, or uh, Wiggins, did that is what kind of stimulated your interest in cycling at all? Mm, no, not so much. Um, Mainly that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he just showed me, what is that? Sabutabol inhaler. Oh, yeah. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. There we are. Hey, you guys. Welcome to the podcast that believes that neon riding jackets are not just there to make cyclists seen, but there to be seen as dorks. I went there. Yes, I had a little bright colors on my kit, but I don't wear the neon cycling jackets. Friends don't let friends wear those jackets. Really. And I'm an old guy and I'm saying that. I'm Pat Bulger. Welcome to another episode of the Pack Filler Podcast. Can you smell it, you guys? The spring. It's here. It's in the air. It's wet. If you sat in front of a TV for more than seven hours last weekend, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, the classic season is here. Oh, you guys, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. I'm sitting here looking out the, the studio window right now, and it is raining already on my beloved Spokane, Washington, and I'm probably going to pussy out and swift for at least one more day. Oh, I don't want to, but it's a necessary evil now that people are conning me into actually signing up for races and I don't want to be as embarrassed as I think I might be. But before I get to that, before I get into the show anymore, I got to do it. I got to thank them. You guys know who they are. Say it with me on three. One, two, three. Noon. Noon hydration. Thanks to our friends at noonlife.com. N-U-U-N-L-I-F-E.com. Go to that website. Buy some great stuff. Or you can go to packfiller.com. You can even drop me a note and I might be able to get you even a little discount code to help take care of you. That's right. You're welcome. Noon Hydration, once again, a great helper and supporter of the Pack Filler Podcast. Thanks to them for being along. And thanks to all you guys for tuning in once again. We have all kinds of wonderful stuff happening uh, coming down the pike. I've got some stuff I want to talk to you guys about and get your opinions on before we get into things. But I do have to say that, that our little opening there was just our little teaser 
He, you know him from being on pretty much every live show we've done except for the Seattle one. Yep, that's Paul Main, our man in the field. I guess we're going to call him because he is over in Europe right now. He's in Ghent today. This is being recorded on a Wednesday before Paris-Roubaix. He was at the Tour of Flanders on Saturday and got to speak to some folks up on the up on the Mur and got to got to get some some interesting statements. We're going to hopefully send Paul out through Paris-Roubaix and get some more information from stuff. People, why do they do it? Why do they come to the races? What is it about attending a race of that history, of that romance, of that magnitude, and and what makes it so special, especially for those of us who are over here across the pond and don't get to go to big races like that? And we're in a country full of dying cyclists and dying cycling. Yes, I went there and I said it. But uh, great to great to have Paul over there. Actually, Dave Martin, uh, one of our friends from the last live show, is over there with him. Those guys are these guys are connected at the hip and they go everywhere. They're Tweedledee and Tweedledum and they love hanging out together and um, hopefully we'll get some fun stuff from them at Roubaix. But in the meantime, yours truly is here back in the Pacific Northwest. Most recently, I actually do have to uh, thank one of our other friends of the podcast, uh, producer Karsten Hagen. When I was dropping off my son in Portland, Oregon for another semester of school, I headed back this direction and stopped off in the wonderful town of Hood River, Oregon, and got to go for a ride on one of the more beautiful roads I think I've ever been on, Old Highway 30. If you have a chance, and if you're ever through Hood River, Oregon, and if you get a day as magical as I did where the wind was not blowing, and if, you know, if you've been to Hood River, you know that the wind is always blowing. But um, I, only, I only got about 30 miles in, but it was a beautiful ride, 2,000 feet of climbing on some of the most twisting, winding um, incredible roads that I'm sure a lot of people, uh, you know, might take for granted in other parts of the world. But um, here in the states, we, for some reason, people like to build roads flat and fast. And um, it's nice to be able to go out and ride some of these beautiful roads that we did. And I had such a great time. You guys on this stretch, Highway 30. Uh, first of all, the first half of it was closed off and is now just for cyclists and and pedestrians. But after that, you're riding on on the actual old highway, and in eight miles. I, I shit you not. In eight miles, I think I got passed by three cars, and then you know, and then I maybe got a couple more after that with the remainder of my ride. But um, it just, you guys, beautiful riding area, great terrain, and great stuff like that. Can't say enough about it. And uh, that brings me to kind of one of the things I want to talk to you guys about over here at Pack Phillip Productions. We're talking about the produ- the the concept of producing a um, a web series show based on what we call bike towns. What makes a bike town? What makes a cycling-friendly community? Uh, the roads, the mountain, the access to each, uh, the community itself. Is there community support involved? What's the commuting scene like? And more importantly, what is the pre and post? What is the beer and the, and the coffee like in that town? Because if you don't have that, you don't have shit. What's the bike industry like in this town? What are the local bike shops like in this town? I'm going to ask you guys out there. We're going to be on location in bike towns this summer, recording shows, recording episodes. Do you think you have a bike town? Do you think you live in a bike town? Can you put us in contact with people who can testify to the fact that it is a bike town? Community leaders, group leaders, industry leaders, what makes your town a bike town? Drop me a note, Patrick at packfiller.com. We will have an actually we will have a bike town at packfiller.com email coming up here very soon. So if you find that one, send it to that. Another option we have for you guys, and I'm just whoring myself out left and right. Actually, I'm not making a fucking penny off of these. So our friends at Castelli, Eric Solberg has been 
he's been on the live show when we were over in Seattle. And the pack filler cycling kits are coming out. The, the newest one is a generic, good old-fashioned 1980s generic beer can style. It says pack filler, says 12 ounce, and on the back it has two bottles coming out of the white pockets in the jersey. It is a beautiful thing to behold, and you can get your hands on them here. Throughout the month of April, Castelli is opening up the web shop. They're going at all one fixed price, the lowest price they can offer. Again, nobody here is making a penny. We just want to have our friends out there in the kits, and we probably want to make the minimum. You know, I'm not going to lie. I want to wear my kit. <laughs> you guys need to help me out in order to do that. We also have our, our the classic kit from last year, which I'm kind of calling the off-road kit. It's the black and green kit. We have a black and pink kit this year that is similar in that style. So you can choose from any of the ones you want. Check us out. We're going to have the link on the website here very, very soon. And then you will be able to say that you are pack filler. You are the generic faceless person in the middle of the pack. Not off the front because you don't dope. Not off the back because you work out. You're in the middle somewhere. You're pack filler. Let's get to the episode today. Robin Farina, you guys, I had a chance to uh, contact with her. She actually was really cool about it. And she, she told me the story about where this all came about. She was on a car ride. She and her partner were listening to uh, um, a couple episodes of the show. And, and she looked at him and he said, why don't you just contact him and see what's going on? And she dropped me an email and she told me about herself. And I, I had heard of her, of course. I'm not living too much in a cave. But um, after talking about whether I, I, I really wanted to get her onto the show and talk about some things that she's really passionate about. And one of those things is the status of women in cycling and women's professional and elite level and developmental cycling and what is going right and what is going wrong and how can we fix those things that are wrong. Please, God, let's fix those things that are wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I give you Robin Farina on the Pack Filler Podcast. All right, you guys, today's guest started her road career in 2006. She could quote me. Actually, she can correct me if I'm wrong because I'm going off of stalking her on the internet. But uh, quickly moved through the ranks, winning the 2011 National Championships. Uh, she is also the founder of, a co-founder of the Women's Cycling Association. She is also the founder of Revolution Coaching and a great voice for women's cycling. Let's welcome to the show Robin Farina. Robin, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me tonight. Hey, you bet. Thank you. You know, audiences who listen to this show know that I'm a gigantic sucker for exposition. I like to kind of find out how people came to this point. So let's let's just do that right out of the gates. Uh, your cycling career ga- began, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, in, in earnest about in 2006. Um, what sparked that interest? What got you involved in, in this sport that brings people from all different directions? Yeah, well, that's a great question. So I would say I actually raced a little bit before then. I raced mountain bikes, and basically I was a lifetime athlete. I played sports, uh, team sports all through high school. I was just a, I was a jock, you know, and I loved I loved competitive sports. I, I think I was like the first girl on all like soccer, a boys soccer team for like <laughs> several years where I, where I grew up in outside of Nashville, Tennessee. And, you know, I just knew that was in my blood that I wanted to compete and I wanted to play sports. And so, you know, I, I went to uh, university of Tennessee and got a degree in sport management uh, with the emphasis in marketing. So I, after school, I went work for the Braves for a year uh, the Atlanta Braves and a baseball team, and then moved back to Nashville. And I kind of lost, I guess, through the workforce, I lost my competitive itch. I didn't have a sport I was playing. And so uh, I had had an ACL injury in, in high school that kind of sidelined me from some of like soccer and some of the other things. 
And so a doctor said, you should either get in a pool or pick up a bike. And I, I said to myself, there's no way I was going to follow a little black line around back and <laughs> forth. So went to my l- local bike shop and came out with a, a hybrid bike, one of those little okay. upright bikes, and found a local <laughs> place to ride in Nashville and soon was being passed very fast by other people and got really upset with that. And so I think that day I went and turned my bike in back to the bike shop. And I said, this was not for me. You clearly <laughs> didn't do not know who I am. I've <laughs> got to be on something faster. And that's really kind of how it started. I think, you know, got a road bike, actually I got a, I think a mountain bike, a road okay. and a mountain bike at the same time, but really dug into the mountain bike scene in Nashville um, and rode with just guys, you know, I mean, that's, that's really at that time, there wasn't a whole lot of women's racing in the Southeast and just kind of decided I was either going to have to sink or swim, which unfortunately is what a lot of women have to do in the sport or have done in the sport to, uh, to kind of reach a point where they feel like they can race. But for me, it was just kind of what I'd always done and, you know, really enjoyed, enjoyed cycling and, and, you know, race mountain bikes for a couple years. And then, and then someone turned me on to road racing. And I think I never looked back from there. I mean, that was, that was it for me you know, the, uh, the idea of team tactics and being a tactical racer was just super exciting. And so raced for a couple of years in Nashville and then moved on to North Carolina where I, where I really went after, I would say road cycling and, and racing as a career. Well, obviously you weren't in it for the money. Um, road <laughs> cycling, especially, um, is one of those sports that, you know, you're throwing in more than you're getting back. And, um, I, I don't, you know, I always see a lot of meteoric rises by athletes, but I also see a lot of them tend to going, wow, if I really want to make a living at this, I got to go to another sport or I got to go to triathlon or something like that. Um, what was it about cycling that kept you hooked? Was you mentioned the tactics, but was there something that made you think I want to keep going and see how far this will go? Well, that's, you know, interesting enough, like I feel like I was on the brink of kind of when mountain biking was taking a little bit of a dip and road cycling was really coming up. And so, you know, for me, it was a super exciting place and little, you know, maybe I just really didn't know what was going on back then, but I really thought there was opportunity for, for women's racing. And I thought, oh, this is like a great idea. I can prolong working at a desk in, in corporate America and <laughs> You know, my parents weren't super stoked on that. They were very traditional and Southern, and they thought I probably should have been, uh, you know, getting a job and getting married and having kids and all that. But <laughs> I, I saw a different path, and that was one of uh, a competitive spirit. That was one of, uh, you know, kind of breaking, I guess, pushing, pushing boundaries, really. And, you know, at that time, I didn't really have any idea about, like, pushing pay equality or pushing, you know, equality in sport. It was just more for the love of the game. And, you know, I think cycling does that to so many people. They, they throw a leg over the bike and the next thing you know, they're hooked. And for me, that was the same, the same situation. I just, once I got into it, I gave myself, you know, I remember I was sitting in North Carolina. I was like, I've got three or maybe even leaving Nashville, moving to North Carolina saying, I have three years. I'll give myself three years to make it on a pro team. And, you know, I think at that time when it, when it did happen, I had to, to beg, borrow, you know, promise the world just to get on a team and give for, for a team to give me a shot. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because you do see riders doing that now, you know, they will come to you looking for a job and saying, you know, I'll do anything. I'll ride for free. I'll, you know, I'll sleep on a 
an air mattress that's half deflated. (laughs) And I did all of those things in order to, uh, in order to have a professional cycling career. See, that's, that's something that behind the scenes and behind, you know, pulling back the curtain that a lot of us don't see that we've got that, how, how do riders end up on teams? How do those contract, how are those contracts made? You know, we're going to get into the whole, uh, you know, male versus female versions of that. But the fact that, you know, you've got riders who are riders who are contacting teams, you know, for those of us on the outside, it seems like it's this kind of a, this magic, these results happen and all of a sudden the teams come haunt, you know, haunting for you. Yeah, that's just not the case. I mean, (laughs) you know, I would love to say that that there's this this great development program that we, you know, we can go through as newer athletes. And we, you know, if we play our cards right and we, you know, uh, I would say, you know, have the right power or, you know, know the right people. But it, it really is thrown out the window. And I think a lot of times you know, it comes back to that sink or swim. Like how many times are you willing to get dropped and how many phone calls are you willing to make? And how many times are you willing to send a director an email about yourself, about like what you can contribute to this team who's taking a huge risk on you as an unknown writer. You know, a lot of times maybe, maybe one, one result will get you noticed. And I think it's, it's a lot easier now because the internet is so much more prominent and, you know, there's, there's a lot more ways to, uh, to see what's happening in racing through social media. But, you know, back even, you know, in 2006 and seven and eight, when I, when you're really like digging to find teams, it was all like really word of mouth and, and showing up. I mean, you had to show up at every race just to get noticed. And, you know, I think like what we were talking about, you know, times have definitely changed and it's still, I would say just equally as hard to get on a team because I actually feel like there's, less there are there are fewer teams out there that are actually taking on and taking risk on riders it's very much now like you have to be proven to get a shot were there uh, were the opportunities there um after something as huge as winning national championships oh yeah yes i mean definitely once you've reached that kind of uh i would say point in your career or once you've you know hit a peak like that there's definitely opportunity but with that becomes you also earn, and I think you, you, you deserve a little more respect. And I think in women's cycling, it's, it's hard to fight for that. I mean, I think it took me a long time in my career to really say I am worth this and I know other writers are being paid this or they're not being paid this, but this is what something like this is worth. And if you don't want to pay me that, then you know what? I just really don't see how I can keep racing. And at some point I did come to that point in my career because I just felt like the message was wrong. And, you know, it's like at some point you have to you have to give up the dream of of racing your bike to uh, to, I guess, <laughs> live in the real world and make really? money and make have a savings and have some kind of retirement down the road other than just like continuing the uh, the process of, you know, train over the winter, you know, take a break, train, yeah. get ready for the spring races and then repeat because it, it, it comes so fast and like. Before the season's ending, you're already in these days. It's like you're looking for a job in June and July, yeah. which is crazy. You're not even near halfway through the season, but you're already looking for your next team, which I always thought was really a terrible part of our sport is like there's no multi-year contracts. And even now, it's still a rare thing to hear that with any of our even world tour riders, our, our women's world tour riders to get multi-year contracts. 
I read some interviews with you talking about the difference between we we know there's an inequality involved here. I mean that that there's no elephant in the room. We both know that, that there's something going on here, especially at this elite terms of opportunity. Um, and and some of these interviews I I read where you're discussing what it is like to make a career at cycling at the women's elite level and having to have not only a, a good team, but you also have to have something that pays the bills and, and establishes that. You cannot make a specific, just straightforward living, or you can, but not as not as easily, if I'm mistaken or correct. Yeah, I mean, if you were to take a poll of the women racers who are out there today or even have retired in the past five years, I would say 90% of them, if not more than that, have all juggled many jobs in order to be a professional female racer. And, you know, that was always, I guess I never even thought twice about that when I was kind of coming through the ranks. I always knew, you know, I grabbed, I grasped onto coaching very early in my career and it was something that I learned how to juggle. And it was funny because I wasn't the only one doing that. Like Allison Powers and I would sit around together during a stage race in our downtime and we'd be, we'd be making our training plans for other people. You know, we'd be like, oh, what are we what are we going to give so and so today? Really? Sometimes we'd laugh about it and, you know, make jokes about like, oh, let's give them something crazy. But <laughs> we figured out a way like in our downtime how to how to make a living. And, you know, luckily I was fortunate. I, I owned a bike shop during a, a big part of my career. And that was that was something that I worked on in the off season. You know, we did compu trainer classes. I had a coaching business ran out of there fits. So even yeah. when I was should have probably been training a little bit more for the season, it was always this, uh, this juggling act of like, how much do I work versus how much do I train versus how much do I need just to survive? And, you know, that, I think ultimately that, that left the bad taste in my mouth about like where we are, even where we are today in women's cycling, I don't think has changed that much. I talked to, I'm still very much in in touch with some riders and, you know, I even directed in 2016, I directed an elite women's team and, you know, not being able to pay every rider on the team was just like heartbreaking to me because I feel every rider deserves some kind of some kind of salary <laughs> just so for all the work and all the hours you're putting in. It's not, you know, nightmares are dreams, too, is what we used to always say. And, you know, sometimes just because you think you're living the dream of racing bikes, it can it can be quite, quite difficult on you when you come home. And when, you know, after you get back from a race and you figure out how do I how do I even start start the next day with like this disarray of bills and you know just putting putting your life back together after a race week is are are unpaid riders a common element in at this level of the sport unfortunately they yes i mean i would i would i don't even want to guess at how many riders are being unpaid and in the peloton in the pro peloton you know many riders would ride for for bikes to be able to keep a bike at the end of the season. I even right. negotiated a, I tried, I should say I tried, I tried to negotiate two contracts for, I would say Neo pro riders for their next season with a big, with a, with one of the bigger women's pro pro teams. And, you know, to my dismay, we couldn't even get a bike to take home at the end of the season. They were say, you know, you got to keep your kits. And these are people who were on, like I said, a, a, yeah. one of the major women's pro teams. Good. They got to keep their kits but were paid nothing like their expenses were paid for. And to me, that is like, oh, that's just painful. And yeah. to no surprise, both of those 
both of those women have moved on and have chosen different careers. One, they're both in the wine industry now (laughs) and they had, they had potential to be, to be great writers in the women's Peloton. Robin, I had no idea this, this is, this just, it, it, I, I'm speechless to know that there are people at that level. Again, being somebody from the outside looking in, um, we see the that pro level as you're there, you've arrived, you're doing something, you're you know you're at least you know yes expenses, but there you know you're on the payroll. And to understand that there are people who are just doing it to try to make it through the next level, and then having that that as you say that fear, that knowledge of you know I've got rent, I've got expenses, I've got, you know, who knows, maybe student loans, heaven forbid, uh, that need oh, to be taken sure. care of. Yeah. And these types of things. And to know that that is another factor that is put into the pro Peloton, that's just, that's bullshit. That, I can't believe that. It's absolute bullshit. And actually, you know, that was one of the reasons why back in the, I guess the end of 2012, we yeah. started forming the Women's Cycling Association is because there was this, I guess there was this just powerful feeling among the women that were racing that we had to do something about it. And, you know, we did, we went, we went to bat and we worked very hard at coming up with plans and coming up with, you know, uh, agendas for the UCI. And, you know, during that time, it was, it was very successful in 2013. I mean, a lot of the things that, that are now occurring in women's cycling are because of the work that we did. And, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, though, what needed to happen was a riders' union where real, where yeah. women really stood up and said, "We have to be paid." You know, this is an absolute necessary. If, don't be a pro- professional team. You know, maybe you don't even like race this. You don't get to race UCI. And I think now there are minimums. I don't know still how that like how that really pans out because some of that can be for bike trade and all this. That they find they find ways around paying you for sure. Really, but to some extent, like there has to be in order to be just a domestic elite team, there should be a minimum salary. Yeah. Just so you can, you you know, if, if a team is going to be registered, registered, even with USA cycling, there needs to be a minimum salary. Yes. And, you know, some people will say, well, that will kill the sport. Well, it's not really professional, professional sports. If they're not being paid, it's a, it's a hobby and it's amateur yeah. racing. Uh, is there some trickle down maybe issues we could have? You know, I, I know of some pro teams that some higher level pro teams that have both a men's and a women's squad. And I, again, please don't take this. I don't want any of this to sound like it's a demeaning or belittling thing because I think uh, I, I'm, I'm wary of that issue and I don't want to make it sound like it. Is there something we've got these huge multi-million dollar teams and, and we can't even find a way to get some people to get to the, freaking race i i don't know i'm, I'm getting pissed yeah. off i guess no i think i agree with you 100 percent. there's no reason why these men world tour teams can't can't it, it has to be a like it's just part of it where they have to have a women's team and they have to have a juniors team i mean i don't care if contador makes a little less money that's that's <laughs> his problem really you know like if, if the money's not there it's not there but it should be spread out and you know i think the world tour the women's world tour looks great right now right like yeah. you can go and watch that. You can get it on NBC gold. You can, you can go find it on the internet. I just watched the tour flounders, the women's tour flounders. And that was amazing. And the commentary was by women, you know, that, that was exciting. But what I kept thinking is like, where, what's, what's the, like right below that domestically, what's happening, what's happening to grassroots cycling, what's happening to the funnel of talent that's coming through. And I think, you know, we're at a, we're at a serious, 
situation here with, with domestic cycling and, and road racing. I mean, you know, now it's like, if you look at what's happening in the U.S., it's like the crit series. USA crits is the best thing that we have going for us right yeah, now. Yeah. And that's kind of scary. You know, I think a lot of women who are wanting and, and men who are wanting to road race, they're going and picking up, they're going to grasshoppers and they're going to these uh, participation events that feel like a road race, but it's mass start. Yeah. And there's, I guess, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I mean, the prize money is, you know, I guess it, it, it's, some of it's good, but at the same time, there's no, there's no points for racing and there's just no real development there. It's just kind of a free for all. So I'm a little worried, you know, about the state of cycling, the, the state of road cycling here in America for what's that's going to do for the future of our sport. And that, that's a common issue that we bring it up in this, in this show, fearing about what's going on um, domestically, the amount of races are dwindling and things like, but let's, you know, here, here, I, I, I want to make sure that we don't just focus on what's wrong. I want to see what, what can we do to maybe make some improvements in your opinion. So let's, let's, yeah. let's take this through the levels. Um, let's start at the, the grassroots level. What do you think needs to be done to get more women out there riding bikes? First of all. Well, that's a, a great question. And, and, you know, we, I tackle that every day because I, I mean, now I guess now that I'm not racing, which I still, I, I consider, I still race every day. I've got Strava. I still look yeah. for my, you know, where I'm going to get a QOM, whatever. <laughs> um, but at the same time, like I'm really interested in trying to help my athletes who I, the, the group of people that I coach, you know, where can they, where can they go and race? Where can they, where can they go and get their feet wet racing? And so what I'm, what I've been looking at and learning is that it's kind of like I have athletes in different pockets. So I have yeah. several athletes in Tulsa, in Arizona, in New England, in Charlotte. So what's happening here is like, especially I want to talk about Tulsa because what they're doing there is phenomenal. So I have taken on a, a team, a women's team there and not just a team, but a club. So they are 75 women big, which is huge. Wow. Wow. And they have about 15 to 20 racers. And so they've started a mentor program. So the racers actually are mentoring club riders who want to learn how to race. Okay. And so with the invention of the Cat 5 racer for, for women, which is kind of weird because I still think that's a cat for, you know, there is <laughs> yeah. an opportunity if we can debate whether that was yeah. necessary or not, but, uh, <laughs> there, there seems to be an opportunity where women who are beginners can come in together and they could be scored separately from the cat fours and, and get their feet wet in racing. But what we're doing is we're trying to put on more race clinics, uh, ride clinics, like skills clinics. And yeah. what I've done is I usually go there like once a quarter and I get the ball rolling for them. I'm like, here's what it should look like. You know, here's the things that you should be covering and that you should be practicing week to week. And so what they do is they, they require their racers to spend time with the club members. And so the club members are required to go and watch races and help put up the tent. And, you know, what we've wow. discovered is like, this is a super powerful group of women coming to together it's camaraderie it's social and that's really what what women what gets them to the races is like knowing that you don't have to show up to the race in your you know in your car by yourself yeah. you get like you look around you're like this is weird like who do i talk to this that they're from that team and they're from that team and it's like it's a very isolated feeling because i know i showed up to races like that 
early on in my career. And luckily I just didn't care, but you know, <laughs> a lot of women do they're like, they look around and like, who are my friends here? And so just as an example, like I was in Tulsa almost, I guess it was last week. And I went to one of their local races and it was, it was crazy. Like not only was the three, I guess it was the four five category big, the one, two, three was one, two, three women was a big category too. But like all of these club members showed up to support the racers for this team. And it was insane. Like one of the girls won from the team that I, that we coached, I coach. And, you know, it was like this big party happened after that. And I was like, this is the way bike racing should be. And it was, it was nuts because you even saw the men racers looking around, like there was a hoopla happening. (laughs) And I think that's what gets women excited about racing. That's what gets other people excited about racing, you know, and then they see that there's the beginner categories and they're like, you know, I could do that. Yeah. You know, I think, I think in some ways, like it's almost, I know this sounds crazy, but it's, it's like, we've got to find courses maybe for beginners that aren't so, so ridiculously hard, you know, or the, the racing is not so, I don't know if it's so long. I mean, there's different ways to look at it, but I do think here in NorCal, for example, there's early season, there's early season crit races that teach people how to, to race crit. So then Mm -hmm. therefore, once the season starts, they know how to race a crit because they've done these practice crits and they have mentors in the crits that teach. And I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Like if, if more people and I, you know, NorCal, I think we're, we're, you know, we have a history, a long history of strong cycling here, but I mean, these are the things that we're trying to promote is that like, you know, we've got to go back and teach the sport, especially to women. And, and I would say high school kids. I mean, NICA, I coach a couple of NICA kids, which is, you know, national interscholastic cycling association and high school mountain biking. And these kids, it's all about skill development, because if you just leave people out there to dry and hang on to a pack, it's not, it does not feel good when you get dropped. And so by teaching them basic skills, by teaching them handling skills, by teaching them cornering, it's like they are progressing through the ranks and progressing as a, as a cyclist. Yeah. And so that's what we, we need people to feel confident. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know when I was, was learning our sport, it was just a a show and go, like you get dropped (laughs) and you keep fighting back and you make it a little longer next time. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I have some of my athletes, some of my women who I go and tell them to go find the the group ride with the guys. That's the hardest group ride they can hang on to. And just, you know, I said, they're not going to baby you. You're going to get dropped and you just got to keep pushing. But they're at that level where they've already reached, like they're confident. So I really feel like skill development is one of the big things that that we spend a lot of time on. I spend a lot of time as a coach. Um, and that's, I think confidence, whenever you build confidence, you, you build that ability to, to try new things and to, to, uh, you know, kind of go outside your, your comfort zone. Yeah. And that's, that's the sport, as I've said, almost ad nauseum to the point where, um, it's, it's, you have a person who wants to get into the sport. They go for a group ride. They show up a group ride. They get dropped. It's over. They ride home by themselves. So you have a, a person brand new to cycling. They enroll, They sign up for a crit. Three laps into the crit, they get dropped. Two laps later, they get pulled. The race is over. Um, they sign up for a triathlon, and they race themselves against the course, and they finish, and they get a medal, and they get a hug, and they get the announcer saying their name. Yeah. What sport sounds more attractive to the beginner? Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on what side of the triathlon equation you are, it, the, the answer is there. Are there ways, and I think it sounds like what, you're, what you guys are establishing is, is, first of all, 
no pressure learning these skills before you show up at a start line and also having a group of supporters uh, to be, you know, my wife, for example, was involved in cycling when we were first together and she had a difficult time because she just didn't want to go out and ride with all my guy friends. She wanted to have some people to ride with. And, yeah. and it becomes really frustrating when that's all you've got. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, I think we leave it up to bike shops to get women into cycling, which I don't think that's a, a very good plan. Yeah. It's, it's, and you know, what we do is we encourage, and when I say we, it's revolution coaching, yeah. you know, my coaching business, me, uh, my business partner, Jill, and, and, you know, we really encourage our riders to go and like find other riders that want to get into the sport. And it's, you know, it's, it's, you have to be a little, you have to be unselfish about this. It's like, you may take a day of your training and it may be that easy ride that brings other riders along, Yeah. but you know, it's like, we try to finish it off with something fun. We go have a beer, we go have drinks, you know? And it's <laughs> like, I know that sounds silly. No, but, well, you had actually, me at beer. It doesn't sound silly. Yeah. Yeah. Not at all. <laughs> but, yeah, you gotta have it. You gotta make it fun, and then the next thing you know, they want to talk about their wheel set and you know what gravel bike they're getting. And Absolutely. I think yeah. that's how we keep lifetime cyclists. Is like you gotta keep it interesting, and we've gotta keep it fun, and we've you know we've gotta keep it where it's it's non elitist and yeah. and it's it's for everyone to some extent. I mean, that's why I think ultimately like participation events, we're just seeing this super big spike and gravel rides and you know yeah. i mean yeah. fondos i think are probably i don't know if they're growing or saying stagnant but like these these events where it's just like come one come all it doesn't matter what bike you have it doesn't matter your equipment like just show up and in there's a route for everyone there's a there's a yeah. 20 miler there's a 50 there's a 70 and then there's the 200 if you're that crazy <laughs> so you mentioned bike shops and and one of my next questions by the way you've done incredible work at just lead i i haven't even had to go to my questions because you just go to the next one naturally so this has just <laughs> been so nice you mentioned the bike industry what is um you know, I, I talk, I've talked to some female athletes when I bring up stuff like women-specific design, I can almost hear the rage in, in their in their attitudes shift, uh, talking about the fact that, you know, um, is the bike industry actually doing something or are they just painting a, a bike pink? No, I think, I think there are big leaps for, for the women's cycling industry. I mean, I think, you know, they're seeing... And, this was one of my, I, I've gone back to this. I've said this several times in, in different things. It's like, I think the one of the biggest growing segments of cycling is what, women over 35, Yeah. women over 40, because they have either had their kids 
they've established themselves in their career. And now they're looking, they're looking to do something different or they're looking, you know, they've been runners and now they're turning into cyclists. Um, a big thing is like, just, they now have the freedom, you know, the financial freedom to mm -hmm. be able to explore a sport like cycling. Cause we know it's not cheap. So I, I do think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of growth on the women's side. I think, you know, and I was a specialized athlete for a long time, but I keep looking at like what they're doing. I think they do huge things for women's cycling. You know, they, they were kind of the first to like really develop a saddle that was, you know, tested and proven by racers, um, or, and riders, you know, and, and they keep putting it out. I think, you know, it's interesting because I, I, you know, I have a lot of athletes who ask me like, what bike should I get? What bike, you know, what, what yeah. saddle? And it's like, ultimately, you know, this, it's like, it's just whatever works for yeah. you, but you have to have some kind of, of parameter for them. And I always tell them, you know, I was like, go into a bike shop. And if, if you don't see anything women specific in there, walk out, <laughs> just walk out because, yeah. you know, our shorts are different. Our jerseys are different, yeah. you know, it, everything. And it's like, if, if no one's even giving the attention to you that you, you know, and I, and like, just those, just stand over the bike. If it works, I'm like, no, no, no. I mean, I, I owned a bike shop. And so one of my, I wasn't really, really excited about owning a bike shop, but my partner at the time was like really into it. And okay. I said, ah, you know, I, I, as a female cyclist, I feel like it's my duty to, to, you know, provide a great experience for women. And that was one of the things that was super important, you know, for Uptown Cycles. That's the name of the bike shop okay. in Charlotte, North Carolina. Please go by there. It's, it's still one of my <laughs> favorite places. But, you know, we we were, you know, adamant about if a woman walked through the door, we were going to listen to what they said. We're not, we weren't just going to give a bike that was just hanging out there and we wanted to sell. We were going to actually listen to what they wanted. And we were trying to give them tools that would help their cycling, their entry into cycling. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of that we did carry, we did carry some pink bikes, which was <laughs> fine. I mean, I, I like pink. I think no, it's fine. No, no, yeah. But I do think, I do think like Giant Live is doing great things, yeah. you know, with, uh, with women cycling. Yeah. And I think like the whole ambassador programs, I think those are huge. And I think it, it creates, it creates energy for our sport. It creates more women, like showing that they're doing cool things together know whether it's epic or whether it's just going out and riding together you know once a week uh, you know even i have a friend still in charlotte and she leads a, a a women's ride out of the trek store and she tells me you know trek is doing big things for women i haven't yeah. ridden one of their bikes lately but i you know i would believe her because she has she has experience in the industry so i definitely think there's something out there you know, for, for any woman who wants to get into the sport, it's, it's available, but I would say be particular and do your homework. You know, I think that's men, I think most, and this is funny because I don't, I don't like to make comparisons or don't like to say yeah. men do this and women do no, this, I but agree. I think for what I have seen, men do a lot of homework when it comes to, comes to bikes, when it comes to their, whatever they want on their bikes, you know, special order and I always tell them, I was like, go and compare, like do your homework first before you say, I, I'm just going to go in and buy what they have. And so that's always, uh, you know, a big piece of advice that, that we tell our clients. And, you know, I end up doing a lot of homework for them, which is fine because I, I you know, it's fun and I want to make sure that they have 
the right equipment for what they're going to be doing. And you're in the mentor position. So it's, you know, they're the ones who are looking for that, that, that assistance, you know, at least you can do is point them in the right direction and things like that. So that's, that's a huge, and that's with anybody that transcends age, gender, anything like that. You know, the, the key to bringing people to the sport is, is nice people helping them get involved and not making them feel embarrassed. So, with that, thought, totally. with that thought in mind, let's take it up to the next level and talk about once they're racing, once things are going and they're passionate about the sport, what's being done to develop athletes in this country, in your opinion? And, and I can specific, we can specifically mention USA Cycling, or we don't have to necessarily specific USA Cycling. It's, it's your uh, call. You know, I've never been afraid to, uh, to talk about USA Cycling. <laughs> I would say I've never been one of those like politically correct racers. It probably... It probably affected my career at some point, but I, I just don't care. I mean, I respect USA Cycling, and I think they have a tough road right now to hoe because they are watching racing, you know, I would say take a huge hit. They are watching our sport change in ways they've probably never experienced it before. I mean, I think cycling goes through phases, right? Yeah. It goes through ebbs and flow, like, you know, mountain biking was huge, and it, then it falls away, then road racing. So... I just think they're having a huge problem of like, how do we recruit racers? And yeah. so when it comes to development, I think you can look at a couple programs like the track program and they're doing great things on the women's side with the track program. And if you've noticed, they have kept the same riders in the pool, right? So they yeah. are, and they have other riders that are they work with and that they've got us, you know, in the program, but they have that core group. And I don't really see that on the roadside. Now I could be completely wrong. I know they've hired, I think they've done some great things. They've hired Kristen Armstrong. I mean, who's a better person to run <laughs> our program than, than Kristen Armstrong, but it's, it's interesting. I, I know they do the talent ID camps. Um, I know that they are, they look, but it just seems like we still don't have a strong, like program that goes and races in Europe or that races in the U S on a consistent basis. And I think that's, part of this whole budget thing, you know, it's, I got to know a little bit about like the, uh, the champions club. And I always ask like, where, where, what's the breakdown? Where's the money going? Like, is it going to, to have our next Kristen Armstrong or our next Chloe Digert? And it's, it's a tough, <laughs> I don't know if I yeah. ever got a clear answer, but I think, you know, one of our issues is that we're not seeing a whole lot of, of women's teams come to the forefront. So, I would say five, six years ago, even seven years ago, we had a lot of strong women's teams, like domestic women's teams. Mm -hmm. And I just don't see that anymore. I don't, I see a couple of the same players, you know, the Tibcos, uh, the UHC. I haven't really seen much of them this year, but I know they're back. And so I just feel like there's this, uh, there's a kind of a missing link of like what's happening here and who's on, who are on these teams. Like I just, I'm just not seeing information about all that. And I try to keep, keep track of it because I have riders in the hopper that I want to be, you know, pushing towards these teams in a, in a year or now. And, and I'm just not seeing like the energy or maybe it's just even, you know, I, I don't know the commitment to it. I could be wrong. No, I mean, no. I'm, Do you think that's a USA cycling issue that they need to take the, the, the forward step to promote it to potential sponsors or is, or do the teams themselves have to make this all happen? I mean, I, I what is the support group like there? Well, I think that's a huge issue. I mean, oh. USA cycling will be the first, if they know that there's a sponsor in the area, 
they're going to go after them because they need them. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, we've seen it happen on, on different with different races. A race gets a sponsor, and the next thing you know, USA Cycling has it as a sponsor. I mean, you can Sierra Nevada is a, a an example yeah. of that. They were they were sponsoring events, and now it's like USA Cycling has them all to themselves. But you know, I think <laughs> I think the sponsor sharing is is super important. I think if if you know we go back to I, I've gone back to this like the revenue sharing. Is there any revenue to share? <laughs> we're not right now, but <laughs> I do think USA Cycling should help should be part of that that process and helping helping teams i mean if we don't have teams we have nothing (laughs) you have a bunch of people out there with no structure or or you know you'll see these these iconic races like we've seen philly fall or the or gila you know how are these how are these races going to sustain if they don't have the racers showing up and the racers come with the team support and so you know this is uh this is a this is like probably one of the 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 you know, age old questions is like, where do we find sponsors? And I do think USA cycling needs to be more involved in this process process. I think they're as usual. I think you would say that they, they don't have enough staff and they don't have enough power or, or help to really get this, this going. So you just have individuals going out there like yeah. looking for money. And I've done it before with several t- different teams. You know, I'm, I'm, really wanting to get back into the game like next year with a, with a women's team and more of a, a definitely a development team, but you know, the budget that it takes to run a, run a team, a real team that travels across the country, you know, you're looking at 500 grand and yes, you can do it for, for less, but then you run into the same problems that we've already talked about. Right. It's like, you can't pay writers, you can't pay staff. And then what do you have? You have a hobby. Okay. What do you see that's that's on the horizon that is a, a light at the end of the tunnel that can take us? You know, here I, I talk regularly on this show about the fact that we have races that are disappearing, um, and and that could be because of um, lowing numbers of racers. That could be because of insurance costs to promoters. That could be because of be, be all all kinds of things. But but what do you see that's like? Wait a minute, this could be this could take us out of the tunnel and bring us back into something good. Yeah, it's interesting that you said that because in 2013, 14, when when the WCA was really at its peak, we were talking with uh, a woman named Donna Lupiano, who was who is probably one of you know sport marketing, sport management. She she helped the WTA Women's Tennis Association when they were negotiating okay. with Virginia Slims, like way back then. I mean, we're talking like at the grassroots of, of women's like sports. And so she was the first athletic director, I think at the women's athletic director at the university of Texas. And so we were lucky enough to use her as a, as a resource. She was, she was very uh, intrigued by cycling. She, you know, we went to her as an organization and uh, we, you know, we were like, we've got to, to take this to the next level, you know? And she was like, remember what tennis women's tennis did like you have to find a sponsor you have to create your own league and you know we looked into that for a long time and then the offshoot of that was talking to to races and trying to find a way to make the race shorter to make it more exciting not make necessarily a crit but a circuit race a smaller circuit in town that was more fan friendly more community oriented and that really gave an opportunity for racers to be in the spotlight instead of like way out in the middle of nowhere. And believe me, I'm the first, like I love the long road race, but at the same time, it's not necessarily feasible now because of cost, because of, you know, security, all of these things. So it's finding a way to, and, and with that being said, 
that type of short circuit being televised or yeah. being live, you know, with live stream. So you can, I mean, I think one of the big problems with cycling or even women cycling is nobody knows who the players are. Yeah. You know, you have a, a Kristen Armstrong who is very well known. She was on Oprah, like she won gold medals, but everybody else was kind of like, who, who is that? I mean, Evie Stevens, you know, she made a name for herself, but other than that, it's very hard to really know like who the players were and why should I follow them? You know, there was no character building in our sport, no like personalities. I mean, not everybody needs to be the perfect little USA cycling angel. Sometimes we need the, the mouthy kind of aggressive <laughs> racer who can, you know, why do we love the men's Peloton? Because they have riders Absolutely. like that. The Sagans who don't, you know, Sagan, no one, he acts like he doesn't care about anything. He doesn't yeah. give a shit. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. And that's why we love him, but he's also going to win races. Yeah. But that's why we love him is the attitude. And I think, you know, women cycling, we were so afraid of that. We were afraid that if we have a big personality or we are a little mouthy or if we, you know, showed any kind of outside the box qualities that we weren't going to get a contract. We weren't going to fall in between, you know, we weren't going to fall fit into the picture. And ultimately I think that's probably what's, what's kind of going wrong with our sport is like, nobody's noticeable. Yeah. No one has big personalities. And so, you know, why can't we sell it? Well, no one's speaking up. No one's talking. No one wants to be the face of women cycling. Wow. And that's what we need. Wow. Okay. Um, you mentioned a different league, different venues, uh, things like that. I remember specifically, this is how old I am. Things such as the Orida challenge here, uh, here mm -hmm. up, up in Idaho, that was a specific race for women. There were no men's races to be seen and it was a hit. Um, unfortunately it's a hit that's no longer with us. Yeah. Um, it, and, and you also mentioned races that aren't out in the middle of Egypt, out in the middle of nowhere, uh, where where spectators get to see. Young athletes can come see these people race. They hold a program in their hand, and it sounds cliche, but that shit works. And, it does. I mean, the Tour of Flanders, I, I you know, I sat in front of my TV for seven hours last weekend watching the Tour <laughs> of Flanders, and I watched them ride up the Quermount multiple times because the fans are there and, and they do that. It's It might be a huge race, but they know they got to run a race through a specific area again to make people crazy yeah. and get drunk. Why? It's a party. Yeah, and it just seems like we are so desperately missing that, and I don't know if it's because of our litigious culture in America where we're terrified to close a road in the middle of town or if it's... Well, you know. I don't know about that. I mean, you look at Tulsa Tough. Yeah. Tulsa Tough is what is going on in U.S. racing. Like, I tell everybody, and I've been there for the last 10, I don't know, 9, 10 years, either as a racer, a coach, a director... And that is the best race in America, hands down, because of the party, all three yeah. nights, all three, every, every, they do a, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but they do, you know, three crits. And I, I, I would say the last race on Sunday is a circuit race, but it's the <laughs> biggest party all year long. And people in Tulsa are waiting for it. They're waiting for it now. They were waiting for it in December. They're asking about it. Wow. They can't wait because it is such a huge, and they love the racers. They they're like out there at eight o'clock in the morning when the cat five, you know, 75 plus are racing, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're like partying. They've got their, you know, outfits on. They're half naked. And that really <laughs> is what other cities need to look at. In fact, I was talking to Malcolm when I was Malcolm McCollum, who is the director. And I just looked at him. He was at a race. He had just got done racing a road race out in Tulsa. 
And I was like, dude, whatever you've done, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. Like you have got the best race in America. And he was like, I don't even know what I did. It just happened. It just evolved. And he said, really, the fans made it happen. And so I think we've just got to figure out like, oh, so that was, it was something today out of my ride. I was thinking this, I was like, you know why it works in Tulsa It's because there's no big pro team there. There's no distractions. I mean, I know this sounds terrible. Like (laughs) we won a big race in LA. Well, LA is not the right city for a big race. You know, it may be the Olympics, but you know, you've got to find these cities that actually need stuff like that, that need entertainment. And so I don't know, that's what I was kind of thinking. Like, you talked about the Orida Challenge. I think, like, I raced the Exergy Tour back in 12. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And that was, that was a phenomenal race. That was an all-women's race. Unfortunately, the sponsor, that guy was a little shady, whatever. I don't know if, where he is these days. I think he still <laughs> owes people money. But it's like, that race was exactly what we wanted, exactly what we needed. I mean, yeah, there were some stages that we went a little bit in the middle of nowhere, but that's easily changed these days. I yeah. think... I don't know. I, and I think Boise was primed for that at that time. And I think it still can be replicated. Things like Tulsa Tough can be replicated. You know, tours like the Exodus Tour can be in other cities. It's just, you, and I think, I don't know if you've heard of the Tour of America, but that's something interesting yeah. that's that's kind of on the horizon. Yeah. And, and there's been a, a little bit of promotion about that. That started back at in Richmond at the world. And I guess what year was that? Was that 2015? Uh, yeah. They yeah. started coming up with like a, a multiple day stage race, you know, for women. And I don't know where it is right now, but I've seen a little bit of, of uh, social media about it. And I'm hoping that it, it actually comes to fruition because yeah. we need that. Okay. That seat, we, we found a light at the end of the tunnel. That was good. So, uh, yeah, now, there is light. Yeah, before, before we even begin to close this down, I need to ask you about your coaching. First of all, um, in spe- terms of specifics with a coach, I, as, as somebody who I had coaches when I was a junior, and then after a certain point in time, it just became, I just kind of you know went off my old learnings and, you know, Eddie B's old book and stuff like that. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm sitting here and not, I was, I don't have a very good resume in terms of cycling, but, um, <laughs> what, what, tell me, who do you work with first of all? And then what type of athletes do you recommend search for a coach? Uh, I, I work with all types of athletes. Okay. So I've worked with any, I, w- I would range from, you know, a national champion, junior to professional racer to, I mean, I've got someone who doesn't even have a heart rate monitor, doesn't even, you know, she's just riding. She's, I'm trying to explain perceived exertion to her, you know, so she's just trying to finish a 50 miler, a 50 mile ride. And, you know, I've coached men who I coach master male master racers. I coach, you know, so across the board, I think these days, people who are looking for coaches, they're looking for coaches for different reasons. A, they're super busy. You know, they don't want to be in charge of this, this part of their life. They just want to be told what to do. They want to get the most for their, their, you know, their time. And so they're looking for someone to, to lead them down the right path for what they want to do. And, uh, you know, a lot of times athletes come to me and they don't even know what their goals are yet. They're just like, you know, I'm getting into this sport And I want to do things the right way. I've had an athlete tell me she read a book about cycling first, like just like you, you know, she, she, she learned how to play tennis. She read a, she read a a book about tennis. She learned (laughs) how to play violin. She read a book about the violin. She picked up cycling. She read a book. And then she's like, I think I need a coach because I'm really lost. Really? And a lot of times, yeah, I see people who, 
you know, they ride for a year or two or maybe even five and they've just plateaued. You know, they don't know why they can't get faster. They see their friends getting faster, you know, and it's so funny because I, I do Zwift, you know, I did Zwift over the winter. Yep. I live in California and I Zwifted. I'm almost embarrassed to say that. Uh, <laughs> oh, I did. I, think, I did. Yeah. I did all, we, all know, winter. Yeah. We have all these avenues now with so much information. You know, we have trainer road, we have Sufferfest, we have Zwift, we yeah. have all of these things throwing information at us about training and how to, you know, and it's almost too much. And I think a lot of people need it in simple terms. And, you know, for me coaching, I would much rather be able to ride with my clients all the time. Like if I could go out with my clients once a week and give them on the bike instruction, I'd be much happier. I'd be, a, I'd probably be a more effective coach, but that's just not the way our industry goes. And I have clients all over Bermuda, really? uh, okay. you know, yeah. I mean, I'm going to Mallorca with my Bermuda clients on Thursday, which is awesome because wow. they want to go, they want to go ride somewhere, <laughs> somewhere different. So I'm like, absolutely. Okay. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, but they're looking, they're just looking for, you know, a, the best way to, to do this with, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I, it's interesting. I, I try to figure out, like, I always had coaches too. And then the last couple of years I raced, I was the worst athlete ever for my coaches. I realized I was like, I'm uncoachable. Have I always been this uncoachable? And then I look <laughs> at some of my athletes and I'm like, I have some uncoachable athletes. And I try to try to communicate that with them, but it, it doesn't always work because they still want that accountability. They want that. They want to learn more about what they're doing. I think, you know, I gave one of my clients training with a power meter, that book the other day. And I was yeah. like, I was like, because he's an engineer. Oh God! He was debating on whether to get a power <laughs> meter, and he, you know, he came back. He was like, "That was the best book I've ever read." And but I, he's like, "But I don't want a power meter because it's going to take away the fun." And I was like, "That's brilliant!" You know, I was wow. like, "That wow. is great." I'm so glad you read that book, and now can make that educated decision that that would take the fun out of it for you. And so I think as coaches, you know, we are we're here to to you know not only just talk about the training plan, we talk, I, I talk about what's going on in their life and how to have the best balance. You know, how can we provide the best balance for what you want to do every day? You know, it's like, it can't just be all about the cycling because then your partner is going to get upset, you know, and how do we, how do we provide, you know, I guess rest because so many athletes are terrible at rest. They will, they will dig themselves into the hole, right? If they could, I, yeah. I would ride every day too hard if I could, but I mean, I, I, kind of have learned something from, <laughs> from from the years that I raced. But it is, you know, I think they're just looking for for knowledge and a lot of them, you know, I coach a lot of women that which is different. When I was racing, I actually coached more men. Okay. And I think it was because they wanted that uh, you know, I want a pro racer ra coaching me. Yeah. I want to uh, you know, I want to be in the scene. And now I've just got a lot more women on my on my clientele list that oh. You know, they're all trying to figure out and, oh, we've been creating community. So that's one thing that I've, I've really tried to push is that, like, I'm trying to create more clients in one area so I can start building a community so they can ride with each other. They can race with each other. They can learn from each other. And that's happening. And, you know, I, I think I, I'm 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 OK to travel like I will go to the different areas where I coach. I make it upon I make I make it part of my business is like. I will show up in Charlotte. I will show up in Arizona yeah. and I'm going to come and ride with you and I'm going to come and come to one of your races. I'm going to watch instead of just being that remote coach because we, there's so many remote coaches out there who have oh, yeah. no idea what their athlete looks like on a bike. Yeah. And I think that's important. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. And well, and it sounds like you, you've, you've 
you started with the the concept when you had the bike shop, telling people to listen, and and you've you've taken that into this realm and into the coaching, and and it sounds like I mean that is got uh, you can you can pay anybody to bark orders at you and, and send you a training program via email. Um, but to somebody who actually wants to understand that your goal might not be racing, it might not be that competitive. It might be, like you said, just to finish a 50 mile ride. Um, yeah. and so to be able to understand those levels is probably a huge part of the deal and what makes it successful. And it's really fun. I just, I enjoy learning about people and I enjoy, I mean, my, one of my big things is to help people achieve their goals. You know, it's like whatever that goal is. And if you don't have a goal, we'll come up with something that makes that you want to do not what I want you to do. And okay. I think that's, that's super important. And I just want to see our sport grow. And I would love to see more women ultimately racing bikes. So maybe it is a little bit of a selfish, <laughs> a selfish kind of plan, but you know, I've spent way too much time in our sport and I've learned so much by racing bikes and being in our industry that I just want to give that back to other people. Yeah. Well, the only thing that's going to save any of us in this business is to get more people doing it. Uh, we've run into this rut with the same people, like you just mentioned in USA Cycling's uh, roster, we've had the same people doing it year after year. And those people keep getting older and there's nobody Mm -hmm. new coming in. And we don't have anybody new coming in, new, fresh blood, new life, new ideas, new attitudes. We're screwed. We're, you know, we're, we're going the way of the dinosaur. So totally. there we go. Well, okay. And this is the big deal. You're telling me you've got clients all over the place. So we've got somebody listening to this show. How are they going to find you? How are they going to get a hold of you and what people should try to get a hold of you? Oh, so we have a great little website, revolutioncoaching.com. That's really easy. So it's, like I said, revolutioncoaching.com. And, you know, I think it's, it's interesting. You know, we're actually expanding our coaching or the number of coaches we have on board. It used to be just me. And then Jill, Jill Gass down in Santa Barbara came to me and we've been, she'd been putting on camps, women's camps. And so, you know, we joined forces and now we not only coach, we take trips. So like we're taking a, a group of athletes to Italy in May, we're going to France to do the Tour de France again. My second oh. time to do the tour, which I was blown away from. In <laughs> July, we're going to Pyrenees. So we, you know, we look at it as like our the possibilities for our athletes are it's anybody out there who really wants to ride a bike, wants to learn learn about cycling, wants you know if they have a goal in mind. You know, it's not just cyclists either. We have triathlon coach, we have ultra running coach. So we've kind of broadened our scope from just cycling because we know that there are a lot of athletes out there who are just looking kind of do, to do epic things. Um, but also, you know, just maybe even do your first century. So I think it's a pretty diverse, uh, uh, I would say network of people that we're, we're looking to, to coach. And we would just invite you to check out our website, revolutioncoaching.com and, and see if there's something for you. Right on. Well, Robin, I, First of all, before we even I even start to close this out, I want to thank you for your, you know, and this sounds cheesy, your voice to to have the courage and to have the wherewithal to create some something like what you did with Women's Cycling Association. And as you said, it takes somebody to to put, stick their neck out um, and to try and change things and to try to be a personality. And it sounds like you were you've made that effort, and um, hopefully, we get more people like you following that type of mentality. And 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 I, you know, I've talked, we've talked a lot about women cycling in this in this show, but I also believe it's across the board. Our sport needs new life brought into it, or we're yeah. or we're going to go away. And um, so, th- absolutely, th- thank you for your insight, and I appreciate that. 
Well, thank you for your time and thanks for having me. I hope it, I hope it touches somebody and, you know, it, it puts someone on a bike. Yeah, amen. It better. Thank you so much. There are ways we can keep this sport going in the United States. And I think Robin has some great ideas. You heard the episode a couple weeks ago talking to Bart Bowen about how do you notice what's in, in common with these, these forward-thinking people and what they want to do to help save the sport. Get people involved. Get people excited. Create a party. Quit worrying about putting races out in the middle of nowhere. Get our organizing bodies in line and understanding that if we don't do something, it's going to be shitsville. We're going to be doing nothing but Zwifting. And I don't have anything against Zwift, but I want to get outside a little more often. It was a great talk with Robin. I really I appreciate what she's doing, and I applaud her, and I hope that things can get going. And I think I hope we can have... Um, examples like that all over, not just in, in her region, but also all over in, the, in this country. And I think we're going to get on the right track. Oh, that was fun. You guys, uh, looking at the calendar ahead, I've got some fun stuff happening. I've got another exciting interview planned for this weekend right before Paris-Roubaix. And hopefully I'll have that posted on Paris-Roubaix Sunday. If not, I'll have it shortly thereafter. I'm not going to spoil it because when I do say the name, I jinx it. But tax day, April 15th, even though I know April 15th isn't tax day this year, we are planning another live show. Our good friends at Badass Backyard Brewing Company in Spokane Valley, Washington. I say Washington is a joke. Don't send me an email yelling at me. We're there kind enough to uh, host us for yet another one. Delicious beer. We're going to have probably a group ride right beforehand. Come out, go for a ride, come back to the pub. Well, change your clothes, you disgusting asshole. No, uh, then we're going to be able to sit down, drink some beer, and talk about some important things about cycling and where things are going and hopefully have a few laughs at my expense, play some trivia, and give some shit away. Not bad. Contact us if you guys want to have some comments on the po- on the podcast. You can download episodes from iTunes, 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 or you can uh, check us out. We are now on Spotify. We are all on also on um, what's that other one? Um, stricter, strict shit. I can't even remember. I don't. I don't pay attention to it, but hopefully you will. Um, Spotify is the newest one where you can catch the episodes. Get them there. Uh, send us notes. Tell us what you think. Patrick at packfiller.com. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on pretty much every freaking social media, except for Snapchat, because as I said before, I'm over the age of 40. And anybody on Snapchat over the age of 40 is selling you something or they're a pedophile. And I gargled my, my, my throat while I did that unintentionally, which made me sound even more creepier. Bike Towns. Once again, if you think you got a bike town, bike town at packfiller.com. Maybe we'll come see you. Maybe you can ride us. You can take us on the ride. <laughs> you can ride us. Maybe you could take us on a really tough ride and show us what makes your community so special. Thanks, you guys. Talk to you later. There are ways we can keep this sport going in the United States. And I think Robin has some great ideas. You heard the episode a couple weeks ago talking to Bart Bowen about how do you notice what's in, in common with these, these forward-thinking people and what they want to do to help save the sport. Get people involved. Get people excited. Create a party. Quit worrying about putting races out in the middle of nowhere. Get 
our organizing bodies in line and understanding that if we don't do something, it's going to be shitsville. We're going to be doing nothing but Zwifting. And I don't have anything against Zwift, but I want to get outside a little more often. It was a great talk with Robin. I really I appreciate what she's doing, and I applaud her, and I hope that things can get going. And I think I hope we can have um, examples like that all over, not just in, in her region, but also all over in, the, in this country. And I think we're going to get on the right track. Oh, that was fun. You guys, uh, looking at the calendar ahead, I've got some fun stuff happening. I've got another exciting interview planned for this weekend right before Perry-Roubaix, and hopefully I'll have that posted on Perry-Roubaix Sunday. If not, I'll have it shortly thereafter. I'm not going to spoil it because when I do say the name, I jinx it. But tax day, April 15th, even though I know April 15th isn't tax day this year. We are planning another live show at our good friends at Badass Backyard Brewing Company in Spokane Valley, Washington, I say Washington is a joke. Don't send me an email yelling at me. We're there kind enough to uh, host us for yet another one. Delicious beer. We're going to have probably a group ride right beforehand. Come out, go for a ride, come back to the pub. Well, change your clothes, you disgusting asshole. No, uh, then we're going to be able to sit down, drink some beer, and talk about some important things about cycling and where things are going and hopefully have a few laughs at my expense, play some trivia, and give some shit away. Not bad. Contact us if you guys want to have some comments on the po- on the podcast. You can download episodes from iTunes, 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 or you can uh, check us out. We are now on Spotify. We are all on, also on. Um, what's that other one? Um, stricter, strict shit. I can't even remember. I don't. I don't pay attention to it, but hopefully you will. Um, Spotify is the newest one where you can catch the episodes. Get them there. Uh, send us notes. Tell us what you think. Patrick at packfiller.com. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on pretty much every freaking social media, except for Snapchat, because as I said before, I'm over the age of 40. And anybody on Snapchat over the age of 40 is selling you something or they're a pedophile. And I gargled my, my, my throat while I did that unintentionally, which made me sound even more creepier. Bike Towns, once again, if you think you got a bike town, bike town at packfiller.com. Maybe we'll come see you. Maybe you can ride us. You can take us on the ride. <laughs> you can ride us. Maybe you could take us on a really tough ride and show us what makes your community so special. Thanks, you guys. Talk to you later. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.